Well, welcome to Sundays in July. This is a breakout session dealing with membership and baptism. Uh, grateful that you guys are here. Sundays in July is sort of a, one of my favorite months in the life of our church. It's been helpful for me personally as I've just been able to, you know, listen to other men teach on topics that are of interest to me. And I, I trust that you being here this morning means that membership or, or baptism are, are issues that are important to you. And for that, um, I'm grateful. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Jay Lennington. I'm the, the junior high pastor here at Grace. have been for uh, four years, just getting ready to start my fifth year. And I'm also the membership pastor here. Hence, a breakout session on membership and, and baptism. Um, back in the fall of 2013, moved here with my family to, to attend seminary, to was a youth pastor in, in Illinois, and I was desiring to be as useful to the Lord as, as he would have for, for my life as a pastor. So I came here for some training, and I knew that, that Grace Church would be our church. Um, I knew that it was a much bigger church than I was used to, came from a little a church of about 300 or so people, which at the time I thought was was relatively big. But coming here, I, I knew that it would be a much larger church. And so my family and I would have to make the adjustments of life here at Grace. And over the first few weeks, as we just kind of figured out where all the stuff was and where to take our kids and where to pick them up and where to go for you know service and stuff, we, we figured it out. And we began to meet a lot of the people here, sweet people here. And fell in love with, with Grace Church. One of my last sermons as a youth pastor in Illinois was actually on the issue of, of membership and how seriously God takes membership and sort of his plan and his purposes for, for God's people in, in that. And so we quickly um, started the membership process here as that was something that, that we felt very strongly about. But not everybody's you know, membership experience is like that. People have differing views about, about membership. There are some who, who go to church their whole life and they never, never join in membership. There are some who kind of view church like, like fast food options. They just uh, go wherever the mood sort of strikes. They're in the mood for something, so they go to this church or, or that church, uh, bouncing around however they feel. And, and so people have differing views about membership. And churches do too. Some churches don't have a formal process of membership at all. They don't feel that membership's relevant. Uh, other churches have like tiered levels of membership, which is interesting. Seems to be good reasons for the confusion and so many varying approaches to, to ecclesiology, to how the church should work and, and function, especially in an issue like this, an issue of, of membership. Um, Christ's design for his church is something that really brought kind of immediate confusion to the, to the early church, to the New Testament church, uh, right after it, it began. And it's something that still causes confusion and, and questions in the life of believers today. There are questions about the purpose of church, church life, church membership, and the practices of those. Why in the world do, do some churches do this and others do something just so different? Why do we do what we do here at, at Grace Church? I think for a lot of people, you can trace back some of their confusion or some of their beliefs about membership and baptism to their understanding of what that word church actually means. There's a, a little bit of confusion about that word. You understand that when you get saved, that you become a part of, of God's family, that, that you belong to God. Ephesians 1.5 says you're adopted as sons and daughters of God at, at your moment of salvation. You're, you're adopted through Christ into God's family. I think most Christians understand that they, that they belong. I would say almost every Christian has no problem claiming that they're a part of the body of Christ, that they belong to the church of Christ. And we would call that the universal church. Now, we would call that the universal church, which began at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You can read all about it. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, tells us that at our salvation, that we join the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. We, we join this, this assembly, this group. Revelation 1.5 helps us understand that you become a part of the church, the universal church. You become a part of this congregation of saints when you've been declared righteous because your sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ, that you join this group. I believe most Christians understand that. It's not really something that's confusing to them. They embrace that reality that once they're saved, I belong to this bigger group. I belong with other Christians. You probably don't use that phrase universal church a whole lot. Um, not like something you'd have on, on your bumper sticker, like I love my universal church. We don't really talk that way, but you know that you belong and you know that, that you're a Christian who belongs with the other Christians. You're a part of the whole. And for some, that's where their understanding of church and things like membership, that's where it stops. That's where it sort of maxes out. For some, there's no other sense of belonging. But the Bible teaches that those who belong to the universal church, they were supposed to meet regularly in Local assemblies and smaller gathering groups of believers were, were meant to, to be together. This is what we would call now the local church. You're supposed to be a part of the local church, and it's put into practice all over the New Testament. We could list places for the next hour of places where we see the, the local church in practice. We're not going to do that, but let me give you a couple. Acts 14, 23, they appointed elders at every church, every local assembly. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 18 to 20, uh, Paul talks about instructions for when they come together, when they meet together as a, as a church. If you have your Bible, maybe turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 for a minute. Hebrews 10, verse 24. The author of Hebrews there says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you say, see the day drawing near. So this author of Hebrews is helping us. Being a part of a, of a local church is, is vital, and it's one of the key ways in which God encourages us in our faith. Solo Christianity stems from rejecting God's plan and God's purposes for his people to be committed to a local church. And it produces all sorts of strange beliefs. Things like, it's not that important for me to be committed to one church. There's no problem with me being a part of several churches or, or I don't have to be a part of any church. Starting to see this surface a little bit. I can listen to podcasts. I can read endless blogs. I can stay up to date with all my favorite pastors and their preaching. And the best part is I never have to leave my couch. And we see that developing. The problem with all that, with solo Christianity, is that it completely ignores God's instruction for his people to be committed to a local church. That's why solo Christianity is inadequate. You're designed by God to need other Christians. You're designed by God to need other believers in your life to help you persevere in the faith and for you to be a source of encouragement to other believers as well. Not meant to be isolated, not meant to be alone. This is all the more important, you see that there in Hebrews 10, 24, all the more important as we see this day and return of Christ drawing closer and closer and closer. That's what he's emphasizing there. As we anticipate the return of Christ, we best prepare by finding encouragement in our faith, by growing in love for others, by excelling in what he calls good deeds that flow from that faith. And we do that best by staying connected and being committed to, to a local church. Sam Albury says that to do that well, we need the input of others. And we need to have input into others. That's how God has designed his people to flourish outside of the local church 
There is an absolute drought of this essential equipping. Think about the benefits of the local church for just a minute. Local church exists to lead believers in corporate praise and worship of God each and every time it meets. I think that's sort of our chief aim, especially here at Grace Church. When you gather with other believers here, you come together to, to pray, for sure. You come together to join voices in song, both with the purpose of leading you in, in worship of God, and not just in our worship of God, but we also need the local church for all the varying levels of equipping. As believers, we all need to be a part of a local church to be fed the word of God, to be taught and sit under the preaching of the word. God equips and he gifts certain leaders in the church with a specific purpose to help other believers understand the truth of the word, truth of the Bible. And and our pastor is exemplary in that. We have one of the best in the world right now. And and we see from scripture that there are leaders who are gifted in preaching and teaching. You know, we get to listen to one of the best every week. Other benefits of the local church. We can think about this. It's the spot to use our spiritual gifts. And you're, you're meant to use those spiritual gifts not for you, but for everyone else. You're meant to use your gift for every other believer in the church. Your spiritual gift is not for you. And that's hard for some people to understand and embrace, but it's, it's the truth. God gives you a spiritual gift to help equip and encourage others in the church. Here's the point of all that. We're, we're, aren't just to be attending, but rather we're to be actively committed not to just be frequenting a local church when, we, when the mood strikes, but we're to be actively committed and to be faithfully devoted to a church so that we don't miss out on all its benefits. We don't miss out on corporate worship, the teaching of the word. We don't neglect the accountability that we all need and our commitment to live obediently and in a God-honoring way, and we need to be committed for the encouragement we need to live out our faith every single day. Encouragement that comes from discipleship and fellowship, praying with each other and for one another, and encouragement that comes with serving one another. So I believe that's enough of an introduction, enough for us to establish what we need to talk about this morning in the way of of membership and and baptism. It's this commitment to a local church. It's pretty widely misunderstood today. It's confusion that's widespread, showing no signs of slowing down. Our culture continues to place less and less value on commitment. I'm sure you're noticing that. Nobody wants to commit to anyone or anything. And it's strange because believers today seem to be embracing that same view when it comes to two very important aspects of the church, two closely connected parts of the church, and those are membership and and baptism, two foundational parts of the local church that make zero sense for any believer to be distancing themselves from. It's, it's just so backwards. When somebody becomes a Christian, when they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, they become a member of the body of Christ. We've established that, but that is absolutely not where it stops. Believers should be baptized, and they should join in membership to a local church. And in the New Testament, the thought of a believer who wasn't baptized is it's so bizarre, it's, it's bonkers, and just as strange would be a believer who, who wasn't a member at a local church. Those two concepts just do not exist. They do not surface in the New Testament. Nobody wanted to be a Christian in isolation. So my hope this morning is to bring clarity to your understanding of why membership to a local church is biblical, And also to help you understand that if you're a believer who isn't baptized, that you need to be. I want to try to help you with those two things up front. So let's talk first about baptism for for just a few minutes here. Let's think about baptism. Baptism is one of two commands that Jesus left for the church, 100% expecting that the church would do it. 
uh, it wasn't up for debate. It wasn't a question. It doesn't seem complicated or confusing, but that hasn't stopped churches from practicing this command in a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, when it comes to baptism, there's a variety of techniques. You see in churches sprinkling and, and spraying and, and dunking all the way, and there are differing viewpoints on who should be baptized. Um, you can do a quick search on baptism sometime to realize that there's a lot of different stuff happening when it comes to baptism. Um, and if you're bored sometime, search for baptism fails. If you're in a bad mood, I promise after a few minutes of watching some of those, you will feel a lot better. There's some really crazy stuff out there. I saw a kid do a cannonball into the baptismal. That was, I think he was in junior high. That was the most interesting one. I wasn't super surprised by that. Um, but some of my favorite are when the pastor is, is just outmanned, he can't get the person he's baptizing back up out of the water. And then with great effort, he always ends up baptizing himself. It's funny, hilarious. Check it out sometime. Uh, But baptism is something that our church practices, and and we do so because of what the Bible says. So I want to help us with two passages this morning as we think about baptism. The first is Romans chapter 6. So start making your way to Romans 6. And while you turn there, let me say this. This morning, we cannot exhaust all that there is to say about baptism. Um, I just... Again, my main objective is just to convince you that if you're not baptized and you're a Christian, you're a genuine believer, that you need to be. I want to say that up front. I want you to know what baptism is and why you Christians should get baptized if you have not. So let's start here, Romans chapter 6. And before we look at that, let me say this. Baptism is a picture. It's a sign It's a symbol, and signs give information. Symbols identify something. They represent something. Signs and symbols, they they tell you where you're at. They tell you something's poisonous. They can tell you how clean or not clean your favorite hole-in-the-wall places to eat. They do all that stuff, and baptism is like that. It's a sign. It's a symbol that points to something else. It represents something else. So I would want you to know first of all, that baptism is not primarily about you. Yes, you're involved, but baptism is an act that points the watching world towards Jesus. It's a picture of what Jesus has done. So almost every Sunday night here at Grace Church, there are a handful of people who get baptized and the pastors get into the water, a pastor does, and that you know, unflattering white robe. And then the person to get baptized comes in and they read their testimony and the pastor baptizes them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're dunked all the way in the water and they they come back up. So how and what is this a sign of? What's this pointing to? Pastor John says, baptism is a physical picture of the death, burial, and new birth That occurs when one puts his faith in the Savior. It's a physical picture of the death, burial, and new birth that occurs when somebody has put their faith in the Savior. He says it's an object lesson. It's a visual representation of a spiritual reality. That's the meaning of baptism. That's what it is. In other words, I would say it this way. It's a a physical picture or an outward picture of an inward change. It's an outward sign of an inward change. Maybe a helpful way to think about it. Something's happened on the inside of this person, and this is an outward way that Jesus wants us to show it. So when you get baptized, you declare to the watching world that there has been a change in my life. Something's happened to me. Something has changed on the inside. Well, what's that? So Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. I know it can be a little bit confusing to think about our union with Christ in his death and in his burial and in his resurrection, but that's what this is. Paul's helping us here to understand that exact relationship, our union with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. Baptized here in Romans does not mean water baptism. It just means what the word always means. It means immersed. We're immersed into Christ. That's what Paul's saying. We've died with Christ and we're buried with Christ and we will rise with Christ. We are immersed into Jesus. And it's water baptism that perfectly symbolizes that spiritual reality. Water baptism is a picture of what Jesus has done in our life. It's a picture of what the good news of Christ has has done for you. It's a portrait of the change that's taken place in your heart. Listen, Jesus died and was buried and rose physically so that you could have spiritual life in him. That's the gospel. That's what we understand. And verse 6 right here in Romans says, our old self has died. We've died to our sin the old life that was only concerned about me, that old life that gladly exchanged the truth about God for a lie, that sinful nature that was just enslaved to sin, that old self has has died. It was a life that was only concerned about about one king, and it wasn't King Jesus, it it was King me. Ephesians 2 talks about that life, that old life. It says without Christ that we're just, we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Yeah, you're alive physically, but spiritually, nothing. Enslaved to sin, Paul says there in Ephesians 2, we're forced to, to follow the darkness of the world, of the, of the culture. You, you just willingly follow along, following the devil, following your, your flesh, Whatever makes you happy, you just do it. The world, the devil, your flesh, those are the things that the old self lived for. And this change, this newness here in Romans 6, Paul says, as a believer, you've died to that. That's awesome. You've been buried and you've been raised to this new life. Look at verse 4. You've died and are buried in order that you might rise to new life. Walking in newness of life in order that you might live in a new way. That's what Paul says. Well, what's this way? I think Romans 12 might help us understand that. Living as a a sacrifice for God. Holy holy living. Acceptable to God. Not conformed to the world. Not conformed to those old sinful desires. In other words, it's just wanting to now live like Christ to live holy and obediently to him and his word. And so when a person gets baptized, they can say all of that. And I know that's a lot. So let me just say it this way. They can say Jesus died and he was buried and he rose physically so that I could have eternal life. I want to be able to say that. He's paid my debt. He satisfied the Father's wrath for me with his life, and I now am immersed into him. I have this union with him. So what does all that have to do with water baptism? Well, going under the water is the perfect way to symbolize what Jesus has done. It's the perfect way to picture our death and our burial. That's why you got to go all the way under the water It's the perfect way to symbolize and represent that new life that you now have, that you are already living. That's why we do water baptism the way that we do. We do it this way because that's what the word means. Yeah, it does mean immersed, but also it's the best way to picture the spiritual change that's already happened in your life. 
Again, baptism's not about you. It points to Jesus. It's a picture of his death, his burial, his resurrection. Going under the water is, is your way of saying, I'm immersed in to Christ. It's a symbol to show that there's been a change on the inside, show that you're a Christian. It points to him and your union with him. That's what water baptism is. So why do it? Let me take you to our second text. I want to take you to the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28. I think that will answer this question for us. Matthew 28, this is why we do baptism. It says in verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So here we have a great reason to baptize and also a great reason to be baptized. It's simple. Jesus commands it. It's, it's right here. Some of the last words of Christ before he ascends back to heaven, he gives this command to his disciples. And here's what it is. First, make disciples, which we know comes from proclaiming the gospel. Someone becomes a disciple of Christ when they hear and embrace the gospel. So first we make disciples, and then Jesus says, mark disciples. And that's the baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, mature disciples, teaching them more and more of what Christ has commanded. This is Jesus' growth plan for the church. You make disciples, you mark disciples, and you mature disciples. And we see it put right into practice. Acts chapter 2, the apostles do what Jesus told them to do. Peter's preaching the gospel. The crowds in Jerusalem respond. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The crowds were, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Down in verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. They received Peter's call to repent. They received his, his word, the gospel to believe in Christ. They were saved. They were made disciples. And what's the next thing they do? They immediately are marked as disciples. They're baptized Why? Because they're being obedient to Jesus' command, but also then so that they could mature as disciples. They get to enjoy all the the church stuff. And we see it in Acts. They enjoy fellowship. They sit under the teaching of the apostles of the word. They take communion with each other. They serve one another. They use their spiritual gifts for each other. All the church things. Jesus tells his disciples at the Great Commission to make more disciples, to mark them, and to mature them. So in baptism, you're you're marked as a believer, as a disciple. And Jesus told his disciples to do it this way, to, to baptize new believers in the name of the Father, and then the name of the Son, and then the name of the Holy Spirit. Interesting, but here's what Jesus is getting at. He wants these new believers to be identified with this declaration of this new relationship that that now exists, this new relationship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit that did not exist before. So when you stand in the waters of baptism, you stand there declaring this new relationship with God. You're identifying that you're a part of his family. You now have a relationship with the Father that you definitely didn't have before. You now have a a relationship with, with Christ, with the Son that you did not have before, and you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that did not exist before. John Piper says, there is a holy appeal to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit to be present in this act of baptism and make it true and real and what it says about their work in redemption. 
Listen, there's no salvation without the Father. There is no salvation without the Son. And there is no salvation without the Holy Spirit. When we call on their name, we depend upon them and honor them and say that this act is because of them and by them and for them. This incredible relationship with the triune God that now exists. So again, baptisms, it's not about you. It's really pointing us to to Christ and to, to God, this relationship with God that now exists. It points to the Father's plan of redemption in your life. It points to the Son's gospel and how it saved you. And it points to the Holy Spirit's work to open your eyes to to salvation. So who should get baptized? Well, I hope that you can put that together with our passage from Romans 6 and, and here in the Great Commission, that it's for believers. It's for believers. Baptism is for those who are already saved, those who've been made disciples of Christ. They need to be marked as disciples of Christ. Age is irrelevant. Location is irrelevant. It's about being a disciple. Those who have been immersed into Christ, those who walk in newness of life, if this is you, then baptism is for you. You need to be baptized. And that's why at Grace Church we call it a believer's baptism. That's why we don't baptize infants. We don't believe that that, you know, six-month-old or three-month-old or whatever can make a profession of faith. If you're already a believer, baptism isn't changing anything for you. We say that here when we baptize somebody. This isn't salvific. This baptism has nothing to do with their salvation. They're just giving testimony of what Christ has already done. It, It doesn't give you any of that relationship with God that we've been talking about. It doesn't save you. Baptism is a picture. Baptism is for believers. We don't embrace baptism for Christians and then all their children. That's not how salvation works. That's not how baptism works. So we baptize those who are truly saved. If you thought you were saved and you got baptized when you're younger, and then later in life you realize that you truly got saved after that, and I get this question frequently, you may be wondering, do I need to get rebaptized? And my answer is, you need to get baptized the first time you haven't been baptized at all. You weren't baptized as a believer. So the answer is yes, you need to get baptized. You need to make, be made a disciple first, then you need to be marked as one. I think this is helpful, and I, I want to do this. I want to give you these reasons that Pastor John gives for why people are delaying their baptism. Uh, And we'll go through them pretty quick, and then I want to get to membership here for a few minutes. Reasons why believers are delaying their baptism. Number one, because you're ignorant. And that's not an insult. It just means that you don't know. Um, It isn't being taught at, at your church. It's not being well explained. It isn't being biblically presented as something that believers should do. So hopefully we've started to fix that one a little bit today. Number one, you just don't know. Number two, reason why you're delaying your baptism, you're proud. You've been a believer for a really long time, and now it would just be awkward or it would be embarrassing to get into the waters of baptism and let your church know and you know your family know or the world know that you've been disobedient for a pretty long time. So I'm just, I'm just too proud to, to admit that I need to do this. Number three, you're indifferent. In other words, you just can't really be bothered with it right now. It's not that you disagree. It's not that you're against it. You believe it's true, that it's right. You believe in it. It's just that it's not a priority. For me, not important, not not something I need to do right here, right now, and I'm just not going to get around to it. I'm going to just keep putting it off. Number four, you're defiant. You just flatly refuse. You rebel. 
Usually it's connected with the fact that if you did it, it would be hypocrisy. And you know that you're harboring some secret sin in your life or questioning your salvation. There's some reason why you're defying against this command. The number five, one other possibility is that you're not saved. You're unregenerate not really a Christian at all, and so there's no moving of the Holy Spirit of God to compel you to obedience to this command of our Lord. So when somebody tells me that they're a believer, but they haven't been baptized yet, it's one of those reasons. It's You're in one of those categories. If you sit here this morning as a, as a Christian, as a believer, but you haven't been baptized, you're in one of these categories. And I just want to emphasize again, if, if this baptism would be a true picture of your life in Christ, then you need to get baptized. If you're not sure, that's okay. You need to figure out why you're not sure. Have a conversation with your pastor or, or an elder or, or, or a disciple or someone close in your life, somebody who can who can speak into your life of why you maybe aren't sure if it's time to get baptized or not. But if you are sure, then let me just say, what are you waiting for? It's a simple command by our Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So simple. Let's shift gears for the last few minutes here and talk about membership. Uh, membership in... The New Testament, being a Christian and being baptized and being committed to a local church, those were links in a chain that were always connected. So again, being a Christian and being baptized and being part of a local church were three things that were connected always. To remove one of them, it just didn't make any sense. You never saw anything like that in the New Testament. All those belong together. Those three things belong together. If I'm a Christian, then I need to get baptized, and I also need to be a member of a local church. And that's why we link baptism and membership so closely here at Grace. It's one process. If you want to be baptized, great. You're going to also join in membership here. If you want to be a member here and you're already baptized, that's great. You can become a member of the church but we put those two very closely together. Um, today, I, unfortunately, with my job, I do see this a lot. Um, I don't kind of already talked about it a little bit with the fast food thing, but people view church like that, or and I think like a junior high pastor, so forgive me, but like Menchie's, like you're going to Menchie's for frozen yogurt. I'm going to get a little bit of this out of this machine and this machine. I'm going to get the toppings that I want. There's going to be a huge line at Menchie's after this, I think, but Anyway, we'll, we'll be there. We'll see you there. Um, but they just do what they want to get what they want and avoid what they don't. And that's how people do church. I'll go to this one in the morning because I really like the preaching. And I'll go to this church at night because I like the worship. And midweek, I'll go here because of who's there. And, and that's how I'm going to do church. And all the while, you just avoid committing yourself to one group of believers. About a decade ago, the church took a digital step and began to offer the, the online church service. And I think that was, a, that was a helpful tool. I think that was a good thing for the church. And it was meant to be, I think, two things. I believe two things. It was meant to be a front door for, for people who couldn't be there physically to, to check it out. I don't actually have to visit your church, but I can get online and I can read all about your church. I can listen to the pastor preach. I can learn a whole bunch about your church without ever actually visiting it. And that's, I think that's great. Then it was also meant to be helpful for the members of that church who maybe wanted to be there that Sunday, but couldn't be. They were sick or they were out of town with work or whatever, and they could access that online service so that they you know, could stay connected and not feel like they were missing anything. Unfortunately, for some, it became something completely different. It was a way for Christians to be there without ever actually being a part of it. So the consumer-oriented and disengaged Christian they headed for the back door and they traded the traffic and the freedom 
or for the freedom to listen when they wanted and how they wanted. I don't have to, like I said, I don't have to leave my couch and I can feel like I'm getting all the benefits of church. You could listen to sermons while you drive to work, while you sweat it up at the gym, whatever. I read this interesting little article about church trends for 2019. It said consumer-oriented Christians are becoming an endangered species. We're a decade plus into church online, and those believers who are consumer-oriented, they've drifted off into the background and honestly, for the most part, into kingdom irrelevance. You can't change the world if your only connection to the kingdom is through your earbuds. This group has become consumers, not contributors. And the future of the church isn't going to go anywhere with consumer Christians. So friends, the mission of the church requires commitment. It requires engagement. When you become a member of a local church like ours, you're committing yourself to this body of believers who believe that we're uniting for a very specific and a very divinely ordained set of reasons. And we've, we've been over those already. We've highlighted them a little bit. We're here to worship God together. We're here to be taught the word. We're here to serve one another and to use our spiritual gifts. We come together to obey the Lord and the ordinances that he left for us. We obey him in baptism and communion by observing the Lord's table. We're here for care. Come to church for that, for accountability, for encouragement. Listen, when you say no thanks to membership, it says an awful lot about you. It says an awful lot about the confusion in your mind and your heart of the responsibility that you have as a believer to the local body of Christ. It highlights a little bit of arrogance too. Sam Albury again says, thinking that we have no need for the local church is my way of saying, I can manage without all the encouragement that God wants to provide through those people. And selfishly, I'm saying that I don't want any part of encouraging those in my local church either. I don't want their encouragement, and I want no part of speaking into their life, encouraging their faith and growth either. To make a biblical case for membership, we could talk about a whole bunch of stuff that the early church did. Um, We could talk about the way that they modeled it, the way that they kept role, and they did. 1 Timothy 5.9 talks about putting widows on a list. The church knew specifics about the people who were a part of their local church, their local group. They knew who was there. They knew who wasn't. They knew who was in, who was out. They knew who was in their church all the time. It was practically helpful, especially with the way, the, the speed at which they were growing. You can make a case for membership by talking about church leadership. First Peter 5.2, elders are called to shepherd the flock among them. Hebrews 13.17, elders are called to watch over souls and, and your souls, souls of a local church. There has to be a clearly identifiable flock that an elder is responsible to shepherd. They have to know what souls to watch over. It's so impractical to think that as an elder of a church, you're responsible for every Christian around the world. It doesn't make sense. And members of the church are also called to imitate their leaders. It works both ways. Hebrews 13.7 says, you need to remember those who have led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, you're to imitate their Faith, imitating the faith of your leader works best if you truly know them, doesn't it? When you're discipled by them, when you're in their home, when you're sharing your life with them, serving with them, asking them questions that you have about life and seeking wisdom from them for for anything and everything. You could also make a case for membership by talking about church discipline can't remove somebody from the church if they never belong to it. Just practically, it doesn't make sense. But I believe the best case for biblical membership 
are the numerous one another commands in Scripture. There's almost 60. That's a lot. And I think it's clear that God cares very much how we interact with each other. Here's some of them. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12.10. Rebuke one another, 1 Thess 5.14. Serve one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another toward love and good deeds, seek forgiveness from one another, pray for one another. The one another's demand a commitment to the local church. It's so hard to do that with random people, isn't it? Hard to bear the burdens of someone at another church that you barely know. These one another's demand and require that you know other believers pretty well. That they're in your life and that you're in their life and that you're committed to one another to do this life together. You need to have a relationship with them. How do you bear their burdens if you don't know what their burdens are? For those of you who are are members already, you can ask yourself, and how am I doing with that? How committed am I to the other members of this church? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing as as a member of this, this body right here? How involved am I in their lives and in the lives of the people that the Lord chose to put around me? One of the things that's a little bit tricky in a, in a larger church is that it's, it's easy to seem like everything is great, but actually have no relationship, no accountability, no discipleship with anybody. I can come here. I can go listen to Pastor John. I can slip out. I can get my, my gram shots that everybody thinks I was at church, whatever. You, you see that that becomes a little more dangerous with the number of people. That's why we structure this church the way that we do. We're encouraging you to be a part of a fellowship group so that we can take that 5,000 members and shrink it down to a, a manageable size of people that you can actually do this kind of stuff with. You can be committed to like this. People you can see regularly and know by name, who you can trust, who you know will pray for you, who you regularly can pray for. In other words, the one another's here, they only work consistently and effectively with the ones who you're committed to. It only actually works with with them and, and those who are committed to you so important then that we be committed to a local church. And I think it's impossible, if you want to, I mean, just my opinion, impossible to do that when I'm bouncing around from church to church to church to church. I'm not able to do what God's actually instructing me and calling me to do. Once again, being a Christian and being baptized and belonging to a local church, those those three things are, are something that are always meant to be together. You never see them pulled apart or to even try would just make no sense. It's precisely what the New Testament presents. When we identify our new relationship with God in baptism, we should also want to identify with God's people in membership. And that's why those two go hand in hand. I want to identify with Christ, and I do that in baptism. I I let the church and the world know that I've been immersed into him. And at the same time, I also want to say I'm identifying myself with his people. I want to be committed to his people. Don't be confused by membership. It's part of God's design for your growth in faith. I'm convinced that you need this group of people that are sitting around you this morning and that you go to church with every single week. You need them and they need you. You need to be committed to them because they're committed to you. It's a beautiful picture of how the church works and you can't do that through a computer screen. And you can't can't have that interaction if you're only here once every five weeks. It just doesn't work. You need to be committed to a local church, and I believe this one's a pretty great choice. You've been made a disciple, now be marked as one. Obey our Lord's command in baptism, 
and then mature as one as you commit yourself in membership to a local body of believers. I'm going to stop and I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us. And when I'm done, I just, my gift to you is to also let you out a little bit early, but I'm going to hang around. I know that there's a lot of questions about membership and about baptism. And a lot of those are, are individual. Um, so I'm so happy to help and, and talk about those questions. If you have them, I'm going to stick around till 12. So I'll, 30 minutes, I'll stick around, or even longer if there are more questions. Um, but even if it's not today, let me just also say that as, as a membership pastor, I'd love to help you with that. If there's anything that comes up, or you know of somebody that's just got questions about the membership class, or the process, or any of it, so happy to help you. Want to help. Want to make sure that we're answering your questions about it. Okay? So I'll stick around for a few. Let me pray for us. Thanks for coming. You guys have been awesome. Let me pray. Father, thank you for how you speak to us through your word, how you help us to understand what the church is for, how it's so clearly to our benefit. We rejoice this morning knowing that so many in this room have been made disciples. I'm not sure if it's everyone here. And because of that, I just want to pray that you would you'd save those who, who aren't to be a part of the body of Christ that you'd bring them into your family. But for those who are, Father, just pray that you would, you'd move in their hearts to be marked as disciples if they haven't been. That you would be praised as they obey you in that simple act of obedience. That they would know that it would, their testimony would be such an encouragement to this church. Lord, we all need to grow in our commitment to, to other believers, to the others in this church, Pray you'd help us to see the importance of membership and, and not just to be a number and not just to check a box, but Lord, because it's what you've called us to do, that we would be committed here to these people and that we could reap the benefits of all you have for us. Father, I pray you'd grow us in our love for each other, the ones that you've divinely placed into our lives here at this church pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.